My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister-slash-girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. How to have the hottest sex of your life. Try this position, or that position, or this toy, or that toy, or role play, or breathe, or kiss longer, or kiss differently, or dip your tongue in warm water, or go on a sex vacation. The list of tips for hot sex is endless, especially if you turn to Dr. Google. We've actually talked about all of those right here on Girl Boner. And they can be awesome depending on the scenario, but what if you've tried everything in Cosmo and at sexisawesome.com and you're still not quite where you'd like to be in that department? Today's guest says the key to better sex has nothing to do with sex. And I am so with her. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to explore this topic and more with the fabulous Kate Scalisi of PassionByKate.com. She's a sex educator, permission giver, unapologetic feminist, speaker, and writer I adore, and returning for her third Girl Boner interview. Her brilliance is also featured in my forthcoming Girl Boner book, and frequently appears in my articles because she is so darn quotable. Later on, with the help of our resident expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, we are going to explore ways to better deal with emotional triggers when they're tinkering with your sex life, thanks to a listener whose partner's BDSM tendencies remind her of her abusive ex. We'll also chat about another sexiest gift ever given or received, according to a Girl Boner listener. Here's a little hint. He called himself B.O.B., Bend over boyfriends. Thank you for joining me, Kate. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear that story. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> so I know everyone's like, okay, tell us already. If the best sex has nothing to do with sex, like what do I do? Eat broccoli? Tell us. Yes, eat your broccoli. It's always good to eat broccoli too. So the longer I've do, I do this work, I've been I've been doing sex ed for eight years now, over eight years actually. And the longer I do it, the more that I realize the truth around this statement and how you can add in all of the sexy things you want. And like you said, they can be helpful, the right time, the right place. They're part of that. But what what it really comes down to is creating the right context for better sex. And the seed of this idea was really planted from Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, as so many seeds have been planted from that book. And the more I've explored it in my work and with my my counseling clients and in workshops, the, the I just realized how powerful it is. I'm getting overwhelmed talking about it. And so in a recent example, I had a client who is a people pleaser and she knew it was impacting. She came to me at a point where she was like, I know my sex life is being impacted. And I said, OK, your homework for this session is to take a 10 minute walk at lunch. And she is the dream client. So she took her 10 minutes and came back to me and was like, I started saying no to other stuff. And now, you know, I'm talking with my partner more and we're creating more time at home together. And so it's looking at, you know, what in your life is kind of holding you back from being able to be intimate and to receive. And the answer for that is going to vary person to person. But what the research shows is that low stress, high affection, high trust is really the context that for many people, but not all, because when it comes to sex, nothing works for everyone, um, is really the the context in which great sex happens. And none of those things really have to do with sex. Affection comes close. Yeah. But affection can be a rule that I gave another client where if they're sitting on the couch, they have to be touching in some way. It could be a foot in a lap. It could be a thigh on another thigh. It doesn't have to be sexual. You just need that physical connection. And it, and it kind of primes the brain and the body to remember like, oh, yeah, this person here, we like them. We really like them. We like, like, like them. (laughs) So is it the context around what's happening sexually, the context broader in your life? It sounds like it's both. Yes, (laughs) it is both. I was going to say yes and yes. Yeah, it's, it's really, you know, what's happening before, during, immediately before, during, and after sex, 
whatever that looks like for you. And then it's also kind of what else is happening in your life at that point. So where's the starting point? So somebody comes to you Mm -hmm. and says, I'm just, sex is either really blasé and redundant Mm -hmm. or maybe their desire or their partner's desire is kind of missing in action. Where do you start to find out what that context is? It feels like there could be so many different crossover oh, absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really it's really digging into what's the specific problem they're coming to me with and what kind of things have they tried already? And sometimes the answer is nothing, but often the answer is many things. And when I've realized that they've tried doing all of that adding in that there's something else at play. And so usually in the course of an initial conversation, work will come up, relationship stuff will come up. Something else almost always comes up. And this is where it's like sex education is science and art. And it's kind of listening for those entry points of, oh, you know what? I bet that's what's really going on here. And with with my recent client, like I was saying, she had already self-identified part of the issue, which was really helpful, right, for <laughs> for me. Uh, she's probably my job for me. It was great. Um, and so for us, it was what plan, now that we know this, what's the plan to kind of start deconstructing it? And it goes back to this idea of the dual control model of sexuality, which says that we have a gas pedal and a brake when it comes to sex. And so all of those things that you add on, you know, push the, the gas down, it kind of revs you up. But if your brake is firmly pushed down, it doesn't matter how much weight you're putting down or how hard you're pressing, it, it's you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to get where you want to be. So what do we need to kind of ease off of, take care of, work through, process, let go of, right? The specifics are going to look different. If it's trauma, how can we work through it and process it? If it is body image stuff, how can we work on self-love? If it's stress, how can we create a life that's less stressful? And for me, it's also really about practical tips that can be incorporated into everyday life. So when she told me she was a people pleaser, I said, you don't take lunch, do you? And she was like, um, no. And I was like, you're taking lunch. <laughs> and that 10-minute walk is, you know, we're progressing now. It's turned into a longer walk. And she's just seeing how it's impacting all parts of her life, mm. her work, her relationship, and her sex life. It's beautiful. I imagine, I'm trying to think, okay, so if I were in that scenario mm-hmm. and I go in to see you and I'm feeling stuck and I go, okay, so here's my homework. I could see myself going, okay, so if I do this, then I'm going to be sitting there waiting to see what happens with the sex. <laughs> and I wonder, is it ever helpful to go, okay, I'm going to take sex off the table right mm-hmm. now absolutely. just to figure this out? Yeah, absolutely. Depending, you know, depending on the situation and the relationship between the, the two people or more, um, sometimes taking sex entirely off the table is what's helpful. Often by the time I'm working with people, that has kind of happened a bit already, not by choice or not not even not by choice, but uh, not intentionally has happened. Um, and they're coming to me because they, they do crave having that intimate, exciting and fulfilling sex life again. And so it's how can we make that happen? And it's interesting to see the different reactions among people when I when I, you know, quote unquote, prescribe things like a 10 minute walk at lunch. Some people are like, OK, cool, I'll try that. And there's a little bit of like, hmm. If you could see our faces right now, I'm making shifty eyes. Um, <laughs> and other people are like, what the fuck does that have to do with sex? Like, what? Huh? Yeah. And they just think, and I'm like, just just trust me. Just try it. Report back. If it doesn't work, we will we'll go in a totally different direction. But, like, please just give it a try. And, you know, it really is, this is playing more of the long game. It's not a quick fix. But often it, it wasn't a quick journey to where you are now for most people, right? You don't. You don't usually start in a place where there's, you know, a lack of sex or there's differing sex drives. Those things develop over time. And so the solution has to develop over time as well. But often the impacts do come fairly quickly, even if they're they look slightly different. Right. It may not be that you're having more PIV intercourse right off the bat, but there is more intimacy in that those butterflies are coming back and you're feeling more loving. You're looking at your partner and being like, I love you. And you turn into the heart eyed emoji and then that desire starts coming back and those things start to happen. So practice patience with yourself. Yeah. Dr. Megan often says, go slower to move faster. Yes. And I like that idea, mm-hmm. just saying, you know, don't put a time limit on it. Yeah. Because it's not going to be like one 10-minute walk and no. swing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. So stress is, I've read, one of the biggest yes. 
interferers, mm-hmm. if that's a word, <laughs> in, in our sex lives. Yes. So 10-minute walks, finding time for yourself. What are some of the other practical steps people can take? Yeah, yeah so I want to just kind of quickly sidebar, but it's related, I promise. And so there are some people for whom high stress actually increases their sexual desire. So I just want to kind of mark that if for anyone who's listening who's like, this is not my experience, your experience is valid. Um, most people, however, it tends to just shut things down. And part of that is just how stress lives in the body. And so, oh my gosh, there's so many things you can do. Okay, so <laughs> where do I begin? So in nature, we know that animals often shake after a very stressful incident. And so you could, this this is going to sound really woo-woo to some people. And for other people, it's going to sound like a homecoming. Um, You could actually have like a bit of a shaking or rebounder practice that will help to kind of move the stress through your body. I also have found it to be immensely helpful after a super stressful acute incident to just kind of, you often will feel the shakes come through. But we tend to kind of suppress that feeling, particularly if you're in public. You don't want to just start like like, trying not to cry. Yeah, exactly. And often what that does is add to your your cumulative stress. And so if something has happened, you know, you had a close car, like, you, you know, you almost got hit in the car or like you witnessed a screaming incident on the New York City subway or something that got under your skin, like just let yourself shake. Just like let that feeling run through you and you can just feel the calm coming down. And it's not adding to, it's releasing the stress in the moment and it's also not adding to the stress of just living in a daily life as well. So it could be shaking on purpose, like letting yeah, it happen, it can, but mm-hmm. also just like actively yeah. shimmying just like, yeah, through like, your whole body. Mm, yeah. And you could tuck yourself into a bathroom stall or something. Yeah, you right? absolutely can. You absolutely can Or you do can do it. like Kate does and dance out in public, That's which true. is one of my favorite things you do. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, so shaking can be really good. And thinking also about, you know, processing your emotions as they come up, which again is something that no one wants to hear, but is really powerful. And so when emotions come up, not letting them live in your body, like how, what do you need to name? And then what do you need to do to take care of that emotion? It's not about rejecting it. It's not about pushing it away. It's about being with it um, and, and going with it and saying, okay, I'm feeling angry. What do I need to process that anger? Maybe I need to just go scream in the middle of a field somewhere or if you live in a city into your pillow so you don't terrify your neighbors, Um, which is my preferred. Maybe you need to like put on some angry music and stomp around and and kind of shake and scream and just let those emotions kind of move through you. And of course, it's not always possible to do that if you're at work, if you're in a public place, but you can kind of shift like, okay, you're out in public and you need to get home. And then you can do it once you're home, right? It doesn't always have to be immediate, although the, the faster you can do it, the better. Um, but really letting those emotions process through. And letting yourself feel those emotions. I liked what you said about it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think in our culture, we so often are resistant to negative feelings. Yeah. It's like there's something wrong with us if we're mm-hmm. mad or if we're sad or if we're hurt. And it's also not really pleasant to feel those feelings. Nope. But it's a lot worse to mm-hmm. let it affect everything else in your life. Yeah. And not judging yeah. the thoughts and feelings, yeah, which right. we've talked how about. How you feel that how you feel is, is the cause of all suffering. <laughs> totally. And it's a really hard thing to just observe the emotion. It's so hard. But it's so powerful. It is. And when I used to hear that, it just sounded way too zen for me. I was like, <laughs> I barely can sit still. So how uh-huh. am I supposed to sit there and look at this? It doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me until I finally did it. And I don't even know what shifted. Maybe it was kind of reading about it more mm-hmm. or whatever, or just finally going, these feelings were so big and I was I was punishing myself for feeling them, yeah. which kind of ties into the trigger topic yeah. for, for later. It's like, if you beat yourself up for feeling triggered, for feeling sad, for feeling stressed, mm-hmm. it lasts so much freaking longer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, you had recommended to me last year uh, when I was going through a very stressful time um, when things fall apart by Pema Chodron, and the one of the practices in the book, the Tongalin meditation, in which you you basically breathe in the stuff that you don't want and you breathe out the what you do want, which flips most traditional meditative practices on its head. I have found to be just like it is just lives in my back pocket, that technique, and I'll be on the subway, I will be in public, and it's a silent thing. So this can be also a really powerful stress reliever too, is like, okay, and you just kind of like, 
you're breathing in all the stress. And then she, I really like how she offers that you can even name how it lives in your body. And so like for me, um, since coming off birth control, my anxiety has been really high. And so I will start with anxiety and then I will focus on, you know, whatever emotions, whether it's I feel like, you know, clenching in my throat or some like a fist around my heart is a really common one for me. Um, and I found that that helps to you. You're staying with the emotion and you're also pulling in all the other people who are feeling that and you're sending out. So it's about you, but it's about so much more than you. And that's been super powerful for managing my anxiety. And then the last stress relieving tip I have um, is at a point when you're not stressed to make a list of the things that bring you joy, that help you feel calm and happy and keep that list somewhere handy. It could be on your phone. It could be a sticky note in your wallet, whatever. I don't care. But that way you have those tools there when you need them. Because I know for me, Often I have a really rich toolbox, but then I forget about in the moment. I'm like, oh, I'm so stressed. <laughs> right. And, you know, the subways run late and I have a call and the calls run late and the dog has to go out and blah, 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 blah. And it's nice to be able to be like, oh, wait, hold on. I know this. I know this. Yeah, because otherwise you don't have the time and space to think of a no. new thing when you're full of these other uh-huh. thoughts and feelings. Yep. And Which I is lo- why often sex gets put on the back burner for stress because totally. you're so focused on everything else. Totally. Yeah. And everything you shared is proactive. Mm -hmm. And that to me has felt really calming when I feel anxious or stressed or sad. It's knowing I'm doing something about Mm -hmm. it because it's hard when you feel helpless and we never actually are. Mm -mm. We can, we can work with this, this being, this body, these feelings. Yeah. Yeah. So stress was a big one. Affection, did you say was a big one? High affection, high trust. Yeah. And affection is you know, it could be physical affection. It could be emotional affection. I gave the example of, of that rule on the couch, um, which is one of one of the most common things that I that I implore people to do, whether in workshops or my counseling clients, because often what has happened is will be it'll be after dinner and you'll be sitting on the couch. You'll be on, one person's on their phone, the other person's on their tablet. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's awful, but there's no connection between you in that way. So how can you how can you build little pieces of connection throughout your day? That's one of them. Um, asking better questions in the evening, right? Instead of just how are you having more of an in-depth conversation? You know, what are you proud of from today? What aren't like, what's the thing that stressed you out the most? And those questions allow you to, you know, dig deeper and have more of that intimate or intimacy and emotional affection so that you're feeling closer to your partner. I remember... In our last interview, you re- recommended the long hug. Yes. That's really Warm powerful. Warm goodbyes, yeah. I love it, yeah. It's amazing how you don't realize how quick mm-hmm. hugs are or sometimes how you just pass each other. Yeah. You know, and to actually intentionally, mm-hmm. you can feel your whole body just yeah. – warm up mm-hmm. and yeah that's that's really powerful it is yeah so what what are some little areas where you know parts of your life and your relationship where you might be literally passing each other by that can be a moment to to connect it doesn't have to be a long moment it's a minute it's all you need and you know I, I always recommend in the beginning being really strict with these one or two things like a only taking on one or two things one or two new habits at a time and b being really strict about them in the beginning, making it a hard, fast rule. And if you forget it, you do it anyways, right? Um, or as soon as you remember, you do it. But over time, there can be a little bit more loosening of that. But in the beginning, having the rules and having that structure is really foundational to helping you rebuild what you need and to create that context. So high trust. Yes, high trust. That can be very complicated, <laughs> I'm sure, because yes. it could be trust issues you've mm-hmm. had for much of your life. It could be a new one. Where do you start with that? Yeah, uh, get a therapist. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's always a yeah, idea. It always is. Um, this is the one that I work with the least, but I also like to think of trust in the broadest sense possible. So high trust within your relationship and then also high trust with yourself. And so, you know, for people who have, I'm going to say body stuff, and I intentionally mean stuff in the broadest way possible, whether you're dealing with um, physical, emotional, or mental disabilities, whether you are dealing with illness or injury or body image issues or whatever that stuff looks like, there's often a, a, a break in the trust that you have. You don't trust your body anymore. You feel betrayed. And so how can you start rebuilding that? What are those steps you can take? And again, I don't work in this in this one particularly as much because so much of it is more therapeutically aligned. And that's, I'm not a therapist. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's little things like, you know, how can you maybe tune in and ask your body what it needs? And that can be 
for someone that might be a baby step and for someone that might be a moon leap. It's okay, wherever you are. It's given ideas. Um, but, you know, if in the moment being like, okay, hey, I'm feeling this, what does my body need? And it's similar to the emotion, right? It's the same concept. So if you're doing it with one already, you already have the skill to do it with the other as well, mm. right? That skill set is transferable. Um, it can be spending time naked every day and just kind of, as the negative thoughts pop up, replace them with not even a positive thought, but an, a neutral thought, something that's not negative. <laughs> um, my favorite meditation app right now is Sleepfulness, and um, it's because there's a bunch of different styles of meditation. And one of them, and it's either the stress relieving pack or the softening anxiety pack, encourages you to look for neutral or the term what do they use neutral or nothing much sensations in your body and recognizing those as peace and so it's similar and you know i'm not saying you have to go from oh i hate my body to oh my gosh my body is banging i'm the best baddest bitch out there but you know how can you go from i don't like my body to just have a body and recognizing that as an actual it's nothing much but it's huge that idea of the neutral Places mm-hmm. in your body as peace, uh-huh. that really struck me. It's so much more positive. Uh-huh. It's like, I don't really think about my elbows, but if I think of them as peace, like, that's really yeah. sweet. I like yeah. that for it's, anyone it's with my favorite one body right image now. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was recommended this exercise about, I, I feel like this could apply to trust or any kind of thoughts that maybe feel irrational. Mm. You know, sometimes you're actually with someone you can't trust, and that's yeah. obviously a completely different thing Um, and finding ways to get the support you need is so Mm -hmm. crucial but if you're having a trust issue and it's related to three exes ago for example Mm -hmm. or a parent or a friend and it's affecting your intimacy with your partner doing a thought journal where Mm. when those thoughts swirl up you put them somewhere. So you just scribble them down. You know, it doesn't have to be prose. You just kind of like brain vomit it out, right? <laughs> and then you can be much more objective mm-hmm. and you can observe the feelings, let them go. You can also talk back to them mm-hmm. and rationalize them and go, well, I might feel like this person isn't that attracted to me, but this person has said this to me and this person mm-hmm. wants desires to be close to me mm-hmm. and lights up when I see this person. Yeah. This person is not this XXXXX. Yeah. You know, there's something really powerful, again, proactive, mm-hmm. putting it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes even, you know, for you know, as sex educators, we are, you know, we're not immune from the world in which we live and our and trust issues and whatnot. And so sometimes for me, if something comes up, I'll say to my partner, because I know my tendency is to lash out. I'm an Aries, I'm fiery, so I'm an Italian. So, you know, I got it. It's all stacked up. And I'll say, like, this is this is the thought that's running through my head right now. I know it doesn't make sense, but I, I need you to kind of bear witness to that thought and, like, hear that this is what I'm thinking right now. Or, you know, we'll, we'll have that conversation. And it, it's scary and vulnerable. But, you know, again, hopefully you are with someone where it there doesn't need to be big trust issues, right? Um, and it it often is our own stuff that does come up. And so that's why I, with this one, you know, I, I say like therapy can be really powerful of looking into abandonment issues, looking into past trust stuff, and maybe even present trust stuff as well. And then it makes it a healing opportunity. Mm-hmm. So maybe an issue that seems unrelated to the relationship you have now, if there's tension around it, it's causing mm-hmm. bumps, instead of beating yourself up or going like, I don't want to feel this. So then you get sick and all this other stuff happens. If you see it as, oh, because I'm in this safer space, I can actually heal these wounds I didn't even realize were kind of lingering around. Yeah. And I, you are someone who I also text regularly. And so I tend to catastrophize if something is going wrong and like say a trust issue, like, oh, I don't know. And so who in your life will be really honest and open-hearted and that you can text when something comes up as well to be like, oh, my God, we got into this fight and this is happening. Um, and like, oh, the relationship is over. That can kind of be like, hey, it's okay. And and offer reassurance and empathy and anything else you need in that moment. But also as someone who you can trust to also say like, that's fucked up. You have every right to be feeling what you're right. So it's that yeah. balance of, you know, having, without judging you, yeah, but being, exactly. being objective when you can't be. Exactly. Yeah. It can be really, really powerful. So we received a question from a listener that relates a bit to this, definitely with trust issues yeah. and, and negative emotions that, you know, we all have negative emotions. And I think a lot of people lately, given 
what we are hearing in the news and there's so much sexual harassment talk that's so important and it's also bringing stuff up for people mm-hmm. and we got this question from Haley which is really insightful I thought Haley wrote this my girlfriend is really into BDSM which I rationally have no problem with the problem is I was in an abusive relationship with a guy who took BDSM to a non-consensual abusive space as a result my girlfriend's kinks are triggering to me I don't want her to feel she has to hold back but I don't know how to be okay with those things I feel like a problem. Thanks, Haley. Haley, I'm so grateful for this question, and I just want to say you are not a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you went through abuse. No one should ever have to go through that. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. Haley, thank you so much for this question, because I know that so many men, women, those who've been through traumatic experiences, as well as their partners, are going to truly value Uh, this information. And I think that the first step is the fact that you have the courage, right, to recognize that uh, as much as this is here and now, and you're with a new partner, a loving girlfriend, uh, unfortunately, our bodies uh, remember often, and uh, we sort of get stuck in traumatic, visceral, embodied emotional reactions, uh, in a sense, triggers, as you mentioned. And so, it's really important first that we can understand the why, the how and the why that those still exist in our bodies, as well as working through processes to ultimately sort of metabolize and release and uh, sort of reprogram essentially our nervous systems. And with all the advances in neuroscience, we have a lot more um, sort of tools to sort of help individualize therapies and treatments to help people have um, you know, to live life really fully. And so I think it starts with that conversation. Um, it's really to help your girlfriend know that, as you said, you know, intellectually, rationally, no problem with BDSM. Um, maybe in your mind's eye, can even imagine and see the turn on it is for her or how it may or have, you know, in some capacity initially was for you. But if you explain and share with her, because, you know, in a safe relationship where you feel comfortable to say, you know, disclose and share with her what's pertinent to the fact that, you know, your previous boyfriend really took it to that non-consensual and abusive space. Because I think, you know, in sharing that history, that's going to help her understand and make sense of the why in it's still, you know, that you're still getting triggered by that because you haven't yet done that work. And listen, I don't know, and you don't know, we can't yet know whether, you know, BDSM will ever be a pleasurable part of your relationship. Um, It certainly has the potential to be, but I think it's most important that you realize that this is a process and you're really gonna need to take it slow. You know, I think so often we think about this role of exposure and really exposure, it depends on how we do it. This isn't about flooding, uh, which is sort of the white knuckling it, because that only in a sense re-traumatizes the body, but it's really more about uh, what we consider systematic desensitization you know, thinking about a hierarchy and we call it looking at SUD, subjective units of distress. And this idea of from creates a little bit of anxiety and triggered feeling to like, you know, zero to 60 or 180, as I say, and really thinking what's a zero, what's a 10, what's a 20. And we really create those anchors and we do graduated exposure pairing a relaxation response. And what's so critical about this is that this is sort of what we call a bottom-up technique, which is allowing the body in a safe environment to have exposure that in this here and now, uh, you know, it sort of deeply and viscerally contradicts the helplessness, you know, the rage or the collapse that probably happened in your body during the trauma. And so that is one of the techniques we use, which is the bottom-up. The other is to recognize what we call sort of the top-down. And the top-down is the talking, uh, the naming, the understanding what's happening, going on in your body. And, and this is again, using, working with a therapist who has uh, experience in trauma, uh, because it's really about how do we, in a sense, metabolize or reprocess these memories so that it, it leads to it, 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 the letting go and a different experience versus the re-traumatizing. And another important variable that we often use now is medication, because sometimes it, it's such a strong, it's like an 
if you think about it, it's an inappropriate, not needed uh, stress response. It's like alarm reactions, the fight, flight, freeze in our bodies. And so sometimes medication really helps shut down those responses. So that allows us to have that new experience and pair the relaxation. And so often it's a combination of all three of these. Um, but I think it's important to recognize and to normalize that for so many individuals, long after a traumatic experience is over, it can easily be reactivated by even the slightest hint in a sense of danger, uh, because that's what it metabolizes and mobilizes those old brain pathways uh, and also releases huge amounts of stress hormones. So, you know, it's to normalize that, but also to recognize we have so many more um, therapeutic ways of working in terms of top down, bottom up. And then I also want to leave you with um, some resources, you know, because sometimes I think self-help can be very helpful and just knowing when you feel like you've gone as far as you can with self-help and that's when looking for a qualified uh, trauma specialist and or sex therapist who has a uh, certification or qualification also in working with trauma. But a great book I would recommend is called The Sexual Healing Journey by Wendy Maltz. And this is a book that takes you sort of step-by-step step through the recovery process. And it actually also uh, gives first-person accounts from both men and women at every stage of their own sexual healing. Um, and, you know, in this book, it's learning sort of the skills and tools that to gain control over those upsetting and automatic reactions to touch and to sex. And another book I would recommend uh, highly is The Body Keeps the Score. Um, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And that's by Dr. Bessel van de Kolk. Um, I think both these books are a great place to start. After, of course, starting and having that conversation with your girlfriend and you know, taking the time, really taking it slow. And as always, definitely please follow up. Love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone, you can check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. I loved what she had to say, you know, about doing what you can on your own, practicing patience and knowing that it's a process, uh, not putting pressure on yourself to go like, okay, I need to get okay with this mm -hmm. and to say, I may, I may not be. And I also want to really honor something in Haley's message, which was she's really caring about her partner's desires and triggers really hurt the partner too. Mm -hmm. And I think there can be a fine line between feeling like you're a problem mm -hmm. and actually going, okay, I can respect that this was not my fault. Mm -hmm. I'm brave and courageous and worthy to do this work and to, to own this. And I obviously care about my partner a lot. If I'm in a relationship, there's a trigger and I want this to work, mm -hmm. you know, to, to stay in that place. And when those thoughts come up of, oh my gosh, I'm ruining that person's life or those really extreme black and white thoughts, mm -hmm. that's like the thought journal stuff, you yeah. know, to kind of go, okay, I can have those thoughts and feelings. That's natural. Considering what I've gone through, all these stress hormones, mm -hmm. You have this whole protective mechanism yeah. that's like, I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. Mm -hmm. And trying to find that relaxation. Yeah. No, there's – I. oh, my gosh. Where do I even begin? Uh, <laughs> there's so much in what Dr. Megan had to say. And I, I love this question. So um, I actually was – I taught a workshop at University of California, Santa Barbara last night about sex-positive health care. And one of the slides – it's on the left are the words that sex positivity tends to use and on the right are the words that, that public health and healthcare tend to use. And the top one is BDSM and sexual violence. And I talk about how sex positivity makes space as a, you know, as a field, so to speak, has space for both of those things to exist. It's not either or. But so often these kind of more, quote unquote, traditional fields like healthcare, like medicine, like public health don't make that they kind of fold what was on the left side into into sexual violence. And and the nuance and the the self-reflection and introspection that came through in Haley's question, I'm just, my heart is so big and open for her um, because, you know, they, they ugh, I, I don't even know. I know, <laughs> I have this. chills. It's, yeah, yeah, it just, it's so important to, there's so many things I want to acknowledge right now, right? Like, it's so important to acknowledge that BDSM is a healthy, beautiful expression of sexuality and also it can be abused like anything else. And then it's not BDSM anymore, right? Right. Yep. Um, and I think another book um, that I would like to add to the list of 
what Dr. Megan said that I need to go get those books stat um, is Secret Bad Girl by Rachel Maddox. And I also highly recommend Rachel's Instagram account um, because she posts really amazing stuff. And Secret Bad Girl, it's a, it's a trauma resolution book. It's rooted in somatic experiencing. Somatic experiencing can also be a powerful uh, form of body work for trauma. Um, and I read through Secret Bad Girl and then I immediately bought it, which uh, August, you know I don't buy books. Our listeners may not know this, but I don't buy books because I live in a New York City apartment, so there's no room to buy books. If I bought every book I wanted, I only buy the books that I know I'm going to re- be returning to again and again and again and using with clients and taking activities from and rereading and really digging into. And I just kept finding myself being like, oh, wait, what did she say in this chapter? And, oh, wait. So that is another book that I highly, highly recommend for talking about this. Um and the last thing I'll say, I, I used to talk about, you know, helping women say yes to their desires and say no to all the things that were holding them back. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that I was saying that, but it, I realized how simplistic that is, right? You can't just say no to things like trauma, injury, disability. And so it's really, when we're talking about context and creating the right context for sex, creating a life that allows you to have the sex you want and say yes to your desires it is there's this there's this very large spectrum of things within that saying no to and saying no may be just rejecting society's bullshit narrative about what sex is supposed to look like what your body is supposed to look like right like sometimes you just say no to that and that's all you need to do and that's kind of one end and the other end is working through trauma coming to acceptance of disability or injury or other things and so there's it's a saying no it's a letting go it's a working through it's a making peace with and recognizing you know particularly with trauma you know sometimes stuff comes up unexpectedly that you don't you know you obviously unexpectedly you don't expect it um, very, very <laughs> eloquent here um getting very worked up so um that it, it's also not it's not a linear path and yes. I think that's that's something else that's really important to keep in mind for all of these, right? Sometimes, mm-hmm. some days you're going to get up and be like, fuck society's standards. I'm great. Blah, 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 blah. I have great. And then there are going to be other days where you're like, oh, I should be having sex this way. And we should be having sex twice a week because that study said that that's the number, that's the magic number of times to have a great sex life and a happy relationship. And it's normal to have that kind of all over the place journey and yeah. that's actually how it happens and just being really gentle with ourselves yeah and yeah. loving towards ourselves and recognizing that that's that that's normal and healthy yeah. and okay absolutely absolutely and I think the term trigger even we have this idea I hear it talked about in this way that people say it too much just you're too sensitive and then I hear it in a way of like it's always about this one significant trauma and you can feel triggered and not even know mm-hmm. what the root of it is. You can feel triggered. And, you know, one of the recommended tips when you kind of look for, you're Googling, you're like, well, how can I get through this, comes up, remove yourself from that trigger. Mm-hmm. Well, what if the trigger is your next door neighbor's house? Yeah. What if the trigger is a relative? Yeah. You know, what if that relative who, mm-hmm. who hurt you or who reminds you of someone who hurts you, yeah. you have to have or want to have a relationship with or you have to see them at work or whatever. So I think knowing that there's no such thing as like valid versus not valid causes of a trigger. Mm -hmm. Like whatever you have gone through, you know, it's easy to go, oh, well, that person had it so much worse. Mm -hmm. My trauma doesn't matter. All trauma is valid and however you experience it is valid. I don't love the term trigger. I think it's a very important term and we need to use it, but the term trigger feels very violent to me. So for that reason, I don't like it, but I it, it's a ubiquitous term. But the other thing too is what you need may change moment to moment. And that's what can make dealing, you know, dealing with context and creating the right context for sex and dealing with triggers and managing emotions and managing body feels more challenging is like sometimes what you may need is someone to hold you really tight and kind of elicit that that relaxation response and the release of oxytocin from being squeezed. And sometimes if someone touches you, that's just going to pull you deeper into whatever the trigger trauma is, right? And so and that can be really hard because often when you're in a state of being triggered, it's I know for for me personally, verbal my verbal communication skills go 
it's the very first thing to go for me. And I've learned I can still write, which is very helpful for me. But it took a while before I realized that like, oh, I can't, I literally physically cannot talk right now, but the thoughts are processing and I can write them down because it's just different, right? We're using different parts of the brain. Um, And so it's, it's kind of, it's not sitting with it, but it's getting to know like, oh, in this moment, this is what I need and asking for it. Um, And also having a partner or someone, you know, if you're, if you're in a relationship, for example, having a partner who doesn't get, I'm going to make a bad pun, trigger happy, uh, and do what worked last time and kind of checks in with you before they use a strategy. And this is another thing where it can be really helpful when you're not in a triggered state to make a list of things that have worked in the past. And that way it can keep it on your fridge, for example. And if you're home, you know, they can say, you know, do you want to be held right now? And you could, you don't have to, you could just give a, a head nod or a head shake or a thumbs up, right? There's there's some still some way to communicate in that moment. Um, but definitely having someone, you know, ask before trying to administer something to help because what helps moment, you know, time to time, it may not be the same. Totally. And you don't want to get pushed deeper in. Yeah. Even asking how can I help you f- feel safe? Yeah. And if you can't communicate it, then you have that list or yeah. you do say yes or no. Or when you said that you your verbal communication mm-hmm. goes out, what happens to me is my my verbal is overly, I will talk a lot, mm. but not well. Like I make articulate sentences, but if I try, because I really always want to be very proactive. It's my yep. personality. So as soon as it would happen, what I used to do is I would go, okay, I need to talk about right now. No matter, I need mm. to find, I need to talk about mm. this to the person who might be involved with it or whatever. Like I would go so deep into yeah. that. And what I've learned is that it's much better because I was avoiding feeling it then, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of an escape for me. Yeah. I wasn't actually dealing with it. And what is better for me is to... Let myself feel, maybe thought journal, know that, you know what, I'm going to feel crappy for mm-hmm. a little bit or maybe for a while, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Give myself permission. And I don't talk in a way to work it out or to explain it to, like, if, mm-hmm. if I want to explain it to my partners so that they can know, yeah. you know, what happened. I wait until I have had distance from it because then I can much more I have clarity yeah you know because it's it's so much easier to have clarity mm-hmm. when you didn't go don't feel this don't feel this talk mm-hmm. to everyone or you know mm-hmm. that frantic state for sure for sure yeah so prioritizing self-care I think is really important too for all of the stuff we're talking oh about right yes. whether you're feeling the the trauma come up mm-hmm. and you're having these reactions or the stress is in the way mm-hmm. and a lot of times I think when we are in a relationship if we're feeling stressed out, and like for me, masturbation and solo play is helpful when I'm stressed, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't think like, let's get naked together. Like yeah. that's I, my whole body is just like, uh. mm-hmm. and so I think that uh, it can be helpful to instead of thinking, how am I affecting this other person mm-hmm. to go, OK, wait a minute. Am I taking care of myself? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, the conversations that you know, self-care has become a buzzword, just like body positivity has become a buzzword. And as a result, the the thing pieces and the conversations about it have gotten very narrow and very lacking in nuance and sometimes profit and yes exactly um and while it i will be honest i am a big fan of box rescue remedy it really helps when you're stressed a couple drops under the tongue amazingness but like that's one again it's having a toolbox right that's one tool in my toolbox and so yes there are some things that you can put money out for that really are helpful and then you know, thinking of self-care in the broadest terms possible and also, again, thinking about how it may change day to day, right? If you have a really busy day at work, your self-care may look different than on a, a less busy day. And thinking about kind of the range of self-care, starting with little things like making sure you're picking up your medication, if you're on medication, for example, or picking up, you know, your dry clean, you know, picking up the things that you need to live your life all the way through self-play or self-pleasure, masturbation, massages, mani-pedis, right? Like those are all valid forms of self-care. It's not just one type, but we often only hear about that middle bit, right? Those mani-pedis and like take a bath. And um, I have a self-care workshop that I I teach at colleges and I'm like, I can't tell college kids to take a bath. Like (laughs) stop everything and take a spa day (laughs) in between finals. Right. And also like most of them don't even have access. I'm like, if you're living in dorms, you don't have a bath. So like that's a really useless piece of fucking advice. So 
you know, maybe it is taking a, a long, hot, longer hot shower, right? It's those little, I try to think like, what are some really practical things that I can add that maybe I'm already doing as part of my routine that I can add in that will just feel a little bit more luxurious mm-hmm. and a little bit more self-caring instead of the rush, rush, rush. And sometimes that may be, lately that's been eating breakfast without distractions. And it takes basically the same amount of time. I don't, I'm not someone who who finds that I eat significantly slower if I don't have distractions because I'm a very slow eater. Um, So, you know, it's the same 15 minutes, but I've noticed that it just starts my day on a really different routine. And does it mean that I'm not reading my book as fast? Yes. Does it mean that I'm not catching part of an episode, you know, watching as much TV? Yes. And that's a choice that for me right now is the most self-caring thing. Another day, it might be like, I'm in the middle of this book and I need to finish this book because it's so good and I need to eat, right? And so it's, you know, what are those things that feel self-caring that are part of your routine that you can kind of amp up or do more of or go deeper with instead of always trying to have to add add things on or have to spend money or, you know, the, again, the way that, that these conversations have been going lately. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, am I taking care of myself? Mm-hmm. Am I meeting my basic needs? Yeah. Am I you know, one of my favorite self-care things that I mentioned to people struggling with eating disorders is if you don't have an appetite, you know, eat anything, eat whatever feels mm. and sounds good to you because yeah. there's so much oftentimes punishment around eating something that's quote, not healthy enough or not, you know, <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we have feelings about We're that. Very strong feelings about that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so not judging yourself, whatever. That If self-care is clipping your toenails, yeah. feel good about that. Yeah. And um, at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit over the summer, one of the panels was called Femme as Fuck. And I didn't get a chance to go to it, but I was watching the Twitter feed. And it was, you know, this idea of, you know, society tends to, and feminism in many ways often, tends to like poo-poo a lot of these these more traditionally femme things, whether that's doing your hair and makeup, putting on dresses, heels, and things like that. But for some people, that is their self-care. It's like, who the, like, you do you. Feminism is supposed to be about accepting all choices, right? Um, and, and having equality. And so, you know, yeah, that doing your self-care with a lack of judgment and if it feels nourishing to you at the end of the day, as long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as nothing, you know, you're not, I'm not going to say that actually, because that's going to get twisted. As long as you're not putting people in harm's way, um, then, then take some time for it. Right. And I know some of the ways that this shows up for me too, is in the emotional labor piece. And this again, goes right back to creating good context. So, Oftentimes, there are things as as a woman, as someone who's a woman and has been socialized as a woman, I tend to notice and care about things around the house more than my partner does. And I have a, I have a cis male partner, right? And what I've had to come to terms with is, okay, if I care about it and he doesn't, I can recognize like that's because I've kind of again been socialized to care about it. Does it matter enough that I want to do it? And if I don't do it, is someone going to get hurt? So, or is the dog, right? So now that we have a dog, it's like, if I don't take the dog out because I have to take, you know, I really need to take a half an hour to take care of myself instead of walking him, what's going to happen, right? Okay, you might pee in the floor and that that sucks. But so it's it's not even about, hmm, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's, you know, is something bad going to happen? Is you putting someone in harm's way? And if not, then take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of that has to do with knowing, like you said, knowing yourself and having yeah. that kind of whether you write down the list or whatever, mm-hmm. but just going, this is who I am without judgment so that, you know, and, it, and like you said, it'll change, it'll shift. Yep. And the same thing, making a segue when we're giving a gift to a partner. <laughs> we've been talking about sexy gifts lately. Nice. And I polled listeners and said, you know, send me your sexiest gift that you've ever don't send me the gift well you can if you want to thank you very much everybody send me gifts uh, be careful with that one right exactly exactly vibrators welcome to Kate's not oh my gosh good point what Kate said um but I wanted them to explain to me describe a gift they have given or received that was so sexy right and I received this one that I wanted to discuss with you because I know that you have written a lot about anal play Mm -hmm. and it's an important topic here is the question and a bit about the gift from bend over boyfriend 
He wrote this. The sexiest gift I've ever given was something I gave my wife, but it was a sex toy intended for me as I had been very curious about exploring this avenue. So I asked her if she'd be open to trying, and she said she would. I gave her a strap-on kit for her to use on me. I remember the first time we used it, like yesterday, very hot, very sexy for both of us. The exchange of power and surrendering myself to her was an incredible turn-on. And let me just say, being taken anally by my wife is incredible. There is a lot of trust that went into asking her if she'd be willing to try, but we have a loving and trusting relationship and believe in a sexual philosophy of whatever feels good. We engage in various forms of anal play on a somewhat regular basis and have found that it enhances her orgasms as well, which is very important to me. So he goes on to say that they don't use the strap-on frequently, but it's a nice change of pace. And Bob, bend-over boyfriend, is wondering if this is a response that we hear frequently from from men, from people with penises. And I thought we could present this to you because I know this is some of your most popular content. Oh yeah. Uh, anytime I post anything about anal, I just see my page views and click-throughs just skyrocket. And I'm always like, okay, y'all have lots lots of questions um and also there is a study that came out or an article that came out and i and i just saw the title i didn't get a chance to read through it in depth about how millennials are engaging in anal play way more than any past generation and part of it is that you know is that survey bias of we're actually fessing up to to exploring it more than ever. Um, it's not illegal anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, there's also the <laughs> fact that it's not illegal. Yeah, like there's many different layers to that. Um, but yeah, people, people of all genders have so many questions about anal and there's so much misinformation. I mean, just like with all things with sex, but especially with, with anal because there's this taboo around it and – but it is something that is very common and very popular, and I get asked questions about it all the time when I teach my workshops and when I do my one-on-one counseling. And yeah, people feel people enjoy it; they feel good. And what what a lot of people don't know, and this is just because of lack of education, is that the so the same nerve, the prenatal nerve, which goes down to the clitoris or the tip of the penis. It, it branches off. And so part of it goes to the front of the body, but part of it innervates the anus. And so you're really stimulating the same nerve endings in a different way. It's not exactly the same, but um, you're stimulating the same nerve, at least, that you do when you're touching a penis or a clitoris, right? And so, or, or labia or scrotum or whatever, it's the same nerve that runs through the anus. So yeah, there's a lot of potential for pleasure there. But one thing that I'm actually seeing happening a bit now too is the pendulum is swinging the other way where anal is becoming like the thing to do and so if you don't do it there's that there's that subtle shaming that's happening if you're like oh that's not for me and i you know i hate how that happens and obviously hope that the pendulum will will recenter itself into like if you want to try about sex great or anal play great if not you don't have to and the other thing about the butt too is we often only think about penetration just like we do, right? Always. It's always about all the fucking penetration. But in reality, there's so many ways you can start kind of playing with the ass and exploring it. And I always recommend people just start with like a really nice butt massage. And if you've ever had a massage therapist or a physical therapist um, who has worked on the glute muscles, which are really key muscles and we can go in another tangent about how many massage therapists won't touch them for blah, blah, blah. But they're really key muscles. And it feels amazing working into the hips and the glutes. And so that can be just a really sensual, relaxing, relieving, sexy, stress-reducing, all, all of those things. And honestly, if if you're new to penetration um, and that's where you're going for with the butt, then I, then I recommend doing that first because it's going to help relax everything and so you're not as tense which can make anal sex painful and and so on and so forth. And any sort of anal penetration should never, never, never hurt. If it does hurt, you should definitely stop yeah, and yeah. reassess. And you can start really small yeah. with a finger with the yeah. really small butt plugs and toys yeah. you can use. Some people use a tongue. Like there's so mm-hmm. many things you can do. So many different things. You do not have to go straight to penetration if you're yeah. like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this. And again, that comes back to you communicating with, with your partner about, you know, what are you interested in, what aren't you interested in and 
you know, taking some time to think that through in advance and again, recognize that that might change. I feel like the, the theme of today is things change over time. They do. Right? And yeah. so um, that the, that your preferences may change over time or you may try it and you may not like it. And that's cool too. But yeah, people definitely have lots and lots of questions about the S and people so enjoy it. But <laughs> massage, do you also think the actual anus massaged? Yeah, I like mean, you absolutely focus can. there maybe and try that first and see. Yeah. Or you could even massage that during solo play. Yeah. And also use your fingers, mm-hmm. you know, and your other parts or yeah. use another toy if you wanted to. Yeah, for sure. I love that you mentioned, though, that there's almost like this pressure now to if you do anal, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there shouldn't be. I've, I've heard from people who are trying to enjoy it for yeah. their partner. and. That's not how it should work. There are ways to engage one person's anus and have fun with it without you feeling uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like it. Yeah, no. And and there's also a lot of really valid reasons to not engage in anal play that are health-related. Hemorrhoids, Crohn's, you know, there's so many. If you have a fissure, there's a lot of reasons that, like, you shouldn't, like, absolutely should not, can hurt yourself, right? So um, it's, again, the the conversation lacks nuance. And so it's just like, anal sex is great, hooray! And it doesn't talk about the the full range of anal play, and it doesn't talk about the reasons why it might not be great for someone or really get too in-depth of why it can feel good. And brings up other (laughs) taboo topics, like like fissures and hemorrhoids. Like, how many people want to go, hey, so do you want to try anal? Actually, I have a hemorrhoid. (laughs) Exactly. So no. You know, like, and if you don't feel comfortable saying that, you don't have to. You can just say, you know, it just doesn't feel good to me. Or right now, it doesn't feel good to me. Exactly. You know, because hemorrhoids can go in and out (laughs) and in and out. I feel like we could have lots of talks about Oh, yeah. and poop ne- and all that next stuff time, sometime. next yeah. time we could talk. Everyone's about so that. excited for that, I'm sure. Like <laughs> the poop. Yes, yes. This is so fun. So, I know freedom and pleasure is yes. a big theme in your work. Mm-hmm. Hashtag is very often. So, before I let you go, um, could you share a bit about kind of why that is so important to you, and just one kind of practical step we can take yeah. to apply it. So when I was when I was shifting from just selling sex toys, but also doing a lot of education around it to really focusing on the sex education piece, the anytime you start a business, it's always like find your why, like what's your why? And for me, sex had always come really easy. Orgasms had always come really easy. And there was a sense of freedom that I experienced in those moments. And I realized that that was, you know, kind of my superpower. And it was, wasn't something to feel guilty or bad about, but just what I want for people out there and for women in particular is to experience that same freedom and pleasure that I just always have because it's, there's very few other things like it. And I want everyone to have that opportunity because it's it's healing, it's helping, it's stress reducing, it's, and it just fucking feels good, right? And we, we the, even if that was the only reason, that's a good enough reason. So yeah, it's it's really about helping you to again release, let go, work through whatever you need to to get to that point where pleasure is this freeing, ex- ecstatic thing. Yeah, yeah, which you teach. Yeah, in everything you do, it's in your yeah. writing, it's on your mm-hmm. blog at passionbykate.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you're also active on social media. I know you offer workshops, yeah. you sell toys, and can make recommendations. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you could? work with people or if people wanted to learn more about pleasure from you? Um, I want to give the tip first and then I'll I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say for for the tip, and I totally want to make it just a tip joke right now. (laughs) That was Uh, what. Yeah, there you go. I had to. Um, For just the tip, reflect back on positive sexual experiences as well as negative sexual experiences. And when I say negative here, I don't mean traumatic. I mean ones where you kind of got to the end and you're like, oh, Eh. or like that kind of sucked it ha- or uh, it just happened right and as you reflect back on them notice the patterns and let that inform you of the things that have helped and the things that maybe have held you back from that experiencing of freedom and pleasure um and and you will i promise you'll notice patterns especially if you take a broad view right so don't just think about what was happening during the sexual act think also what else was happening in your life how are you feeling 
about yourself, about the relationship, about your partner. So take the context. This, yeah, take a really broad view of again some a couple of really amazing sexual experiences and a couple were that were just disappointing and notice the patterns and see what you can start recreating mm. because you you really are your best expert of what works for you. I can give you a million ideas, but at the end of the day, you have to drive that narrative. So for yeah. Bob, that strap on every now yeah. and again, which can be fun no matter who's yeah. wearing it. Exactly. Yeah. And then what, what else is I supposed to be answering? <laughs> I wanted so to another <laughs> tip on working with you, but not working with you with a tip, but getting more tips from you. This is why I don't do comedy, by the way. Uh, but I'm so laughing. people wanted to. Oh, cool. I have one fan. That's all you really need. You won't chuck tomatoes at me. No, so I won't. That's I cool. <laughs> so what. How can people work with you? Yeah, so I offer workshops and one-on-one counseling, and all of that information is on my website, passionbykate.com, and it's K-A-I-T, but if you spell it wrong, it'll refer to my website anyways. <laughs> um, and with the workshops, I offer them throughout New York City, and I also will do private workshops. So for like a birthday party or a bachelorette or just a fun night in with your friends, um, they're a really good way to celebrate and get some information. And then with with the counseling, it's really going more in depth and figuring, giving you very specific for you advice and working through, again, the, the, the context, helping you to create that context in your life. Beautiful. I hope everybody races over to your website, <laughs> passionbykate.com. Find Kate on social media, please. She's highly entertaining, <laughs> offers a lot of great resources, and it'll also very funny. Her Insta stories are pretty rad. <laughs> and she's not afraid to dip into any t- topic. Mm-mm. There goes some more fun puns. Yeah. I did and, do a teabagging video. With oh my, my gosh. Okay, we're making one tonight. Um, <laughs> teabag slumber party. <laughs> oh my goodness. You can also find links to Kate's website and some other extras, some of the books that we mentioned today on my website. There will be a follow up blog post. So go over to augustmclaughlin.com where you can sign up for occasional email extras. I would love to have you part of my personal posse. If you have not already subscribed on iTunes, I hope you will, and leave us a simple review while you're there. You can also now follow us on Spotify, which is very exciting. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Bye.